I always appreciate stories that I can visualize in my mind. And one of my favorite stories is about the mother of eight children who came home one day to find her youngest five children intently huddled in the center of the floor looking at something. And she walked over to see what had caught their attention. And she discovered that the five children were each playing with a baby skunk. Of course, horrified at what the possibilities were, she shouted, run, children, run. And all the children jumped up and ran, each, of, each one of them clutching tightly a baby Scott. Can you imagine, I mean, five kids with skunks all running in different directions. And the farther that each child ran, the louder the mother probably shouted, which caused all five to panic more and squeeze more tightly these terrified little animals, because I'm not sure skunks like to be squeezed. Now, all of us at one time or another have faced a trial that kind of blew up in our faces. We've been talking about all kinds of trials over this summer. But it's interesting that as we come into this time in our lives and what we see and hear around us all the time, seems like the one trial that just kind of dominates and appears more often than any these days is discouragement. Some situations can knock the wind out of your confidence, leave you frustrated and discouraged. And I'm not sure, of all these trials we've talked about, I'm not sure that there's one quite like Discouragement when it comes to dealing in terms of dealing with it and what to do about it and how to solve it. And I don't know that I have any great wisdom about that. In fact, I know I don't. But there was a guy in the Old Testament named Nehemiah who found out that the, the, the task that he faced, the challenge that was before him, had turned into a really sizable trial. And he set out to do something. He's trying to build a wall, what he was doing. But he found himself dealing with all kinds of discouraging situations. Sarcasm. People mocking his efforts. Criticism. Life-threatening conspiracy. All of this is recorded in the book of Nehemiah in your Old Testament. And what I want us to do is take, just take a look as we close out this series on what causes this thing called discouragement and how to deal with it in our own life. I mean, if you watch TV, if you have family, if you care about anything in this world, you've got to be heavy-hearted right now about the things that are happening. But we can learn from Nehemiah about how he dealt with his own discouragement and have some really valuable and timely lessons here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we don't go through life alone. And as we reflect upon our circumstances and our situations and the challenges and troubles and not just in our tiny world but in the larger picture as we look at the condition and surrounding nations and how there's just so much upheaval and so much unrest so much death and lord we we need wisdom on a personal level but we also need wisdom as as a nation 
And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as just one small piece of the, of the Christian kingdom in this country. That you would help us to, to be a beacon of encouragement here in our spot, our place of ministry here in this county. Because not, not because our people need it, Lord, but because we need to be a witness to those around us. And to be able to encourage one another, but also encourage those outside the body of Christ. And Lord, it's a daunting task, and we are woefully ill-equipped to deal with it, which is why we need you. And Lord, help us learn just from one man's experience and the wisdom you gave him. Help us learn some lessons today that will help us approach our own burdens and to know how to carry them, know when to lay them down, know when to hand them off to you. And Lord, thank you so much that you grant us so many blessings. Help us now as we begin to ponder and reflect on how to help others who are going through really hard times as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's the background. I want to talk about the causes of discouragement. And as we get into this passage in Nehemiah, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verses 10 through 23 primarily. And the background was in the year 586 B.C., a nation called the the Babylonians, they were from Babylon, they conquered the entire southern kingdom of Israel. And then the people were taken off into exile. And as a result of this, Jerusalem, the capital city, had pretty much fallen into decay. Their walls were tore down, the city was in ruins. It was a very desolate time for God's people. That's 586 B.C. Well, 142 years later, they're beginning to recover. And their spiritual walk is kind of getting more focused on the Lord. And they start talking to God again. And I mean, think of the long period of time that this, they were just trying to do it on their own. And God chose Nehemiah to oversee this task of rebuilding the city walls. Now, that's the first thing you have to do is to provide protection for the people and security. And all the walls had been knocked down. But while Nehemiah's workers were building up Jerusalem's broken walls, they did a little bit every time, every day, they got a little bit more done. Their confidence and their faith was being torn down brick by brick by outside threats, outside attacks, outside criticisms. And finally, discouragement just brought all of it to a halt. Nehemiah 4 verse 10 gives us the reasons why. The people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, this is crucial, our enemies said before they even know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we will kill them and we'll put an end to this work. Now, there's several causes of discouragement. I want to take you through at least four or five of them here. First was that they they were suffering from a loss of strength. The very first thing the passage describes was that the people were wore out physically. The original Hebrew in the text here describes the people as stumbling, tottering, and staggering under the burden, under the load that they were carrying. 
One of the main reasons for rebuilding the wall was for their protection. But in their haste to get the wall done, they neglected to protect themselves from the enemies that were within, things like discouragement, things like, you know, just you know, the, the, the exhaustion that they were facing. They started strong, but now they were too exhausted and too tired to even finish. Anybody tired this morning? I'll tell you what, these are trying times. Yeah, I appreciate, the, appreciate that. Hope that wasn't too hard on you since I know you're tired, but I appreciate you. I've never seen a time like this where there's just so much going on around us. You know, it's not just the physical exhaustion so much sometimes. It's emotional. If you're a sensitive person at all, as Christians we're supposed to be, when you see and just watch what's going on, and you wonder, how are we going to survive all this? We took a group of our church family down to New Orleans 15 years ago. Maybe 16 now. I think it's 15 years. Some over here in this room. And we went down there to, to help with the cleanup. And, I, and I'll never forget the absolute overwhelming sense of futility when you looked at the damage created by a hurricane. And now those folks are, here we are, starting all over again with another one. I mean, I can't imagine that. I mean, I saw it, some of us saw it firsthand. What do you do? How do you fight off a hurricane? I understand the, the people's weariness. But you know, in the Bible, there's an interesting passage. It's in John chapter 16, verse 33. And it says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, I don't think any one of us ever really, really liked that verse. We didn't sign up for that, you know, really. Do we go out every morning and say, boy, I hope I have some trouble today. I hope everything goes miserable today, you know. No, we don't, we, we don't think that way. We don't want to think that way. But what was happening in Nehemiah's day, this loss of strength, you know, was taking a toll on everybody's lives. That, that was the first cause of discouragement. The second cause was a loss of vision. The Hebrew word for rubble means dry earth or debris. And what, what the people were so tired, instead of being encouraged to go on by what they'd already accomplished, maybe you've been here in your own situation, they just looked at the size of the task, the size of the burden and the job, and they just couldn't imagine ever getting it done. And if you can't see the end, if you can't see the victory that comes in life through Christ Jesus, you know, living your life down here can be a pain. I mean, I wonder sometimes if that's what a lot of the distraction we have in our world is people trying to settle for fake and futile little substitutes for things like faith and hope and trust and, and the things Jesus brings to us. They just, they just couldn't see it. So loss of strength, loss of vision, and that leads to a loss of confidence. The end of verse 10 shows us that the people's physical reserves and their vision so declined. And in, in, in relationship to that, so did their confidence. Back up to verse, back up in verse 6, we read, 
We rebuilt the, way, the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, see the difference? But now what's happened is their motivation is gone. They started okay, but it was just overwhelming. And that sense that we'll never get this done. So they lost confidence. Number four reason was they lost security. You know, the Jews always have had enemies all throughout their history. And those enemies did not want to see this wall rebuilt, nor did they want to see that city rebuilt. And they didn't keep their objections quiet. Verse 11 says, Also our enemies are saying, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, we'll kill them, we'll put an end to the work. And and the people had to live on that unsettled feeling of... we. We don't know when they're going to attack, but they promised to do it. We've got enemies over everywhere. Then they had to place each of these bricks and put all this wall back together, constantly looking over their shoulder and never even knowing when an attack's coming or from where. Now, all of this is pretty daunting, but what I want you to see is that Nehemiah had a strategic plan, I think given to him by God, is a cure for discouragement. I love what the Bible does. It presents real life situations, just like we have them. But it never leaves us just hanging out there to figure it all out by ourselves. I'm sure that Nehemiah probably felt like that mother with the baby skunks there in the house. I mean, things were out of control. But he didn't stand with his head in his hands. He began to put into action five strategies. And these strategies are just as relevant to us today as they were back then. Number one, he unified the people around the very same goal. He unified the people around the same goal. Verse 13, these are Nehemiah's words. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. And I posted them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. You see... Nehemiah understood that the basic unit of encouragement was designed to be the family. But this basic unit had broken up. You got relatives working over here and relatives working over there. You got kids to take care of and all these kind of things. And they were also scattered around the wall. The wall of the Jerusalem covered, you know, a few miles. And so here they were trying to get this task done, but they were nervous about, well, what, are the kids okay? Is everybody safe? I mean, just those normal things that happen in our life. So he reorganized the work, and he teamed up the people into family units, centered around very common goals. That's the first strategy. He unified the people. Second strategy number two. Then he directed their attention to the Lord. He directed their attention to the Lord. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. See, Nehemiah saw the people's fear. He understood it. But he knew he had to get their eyes back on the Lord. And maybe that's where we need to start as well as we look at all the mess and all the hurt and all the damage and all the loss of life and all the evil and all the weather and all the stuff that comes. We've got to focus 
on the Lord Jesus. Perhaps of all of these, this may be the beginning of the best in terms of strategies. Their focus was on the problem and the debris and their enemies and all the unrest and all the terrible things going on around them. And until that focus changed, there would be no progress. And he knew that. Strategy number three. So then he encouraged them to maintain a balance. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, but they held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet, the man who gave the alarm, he said, Nehemiah said, he stayed with me. If we need to make the announcement, I'm going to tell when it's time to be upset or be worried or scared. But for now, he, he divided, he encouraged them to work, but also be alert, be paying attention. And when you and I are discouraged, it is just so hard, it's so natural for us to get caught up in all of the the swings of the pendulum. You know what I mean by that? Things just kind of look, you know, it's like they swing one way and it's kind of encouraging, but then the next thing you know, it's right back over here. You know, it's a, it's a constant cycle of life. And we have to learn to see only one view at a time, to take one perspective, never the whole picture. We try to just tackle things and, you know, and it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to, for you and me to run off in all directions at the same time. Some of you are good. Some of you are organized. And most of you who are really organized are probably women. But you still can't run off in all directions at the same time. You've got to pick a direction. Nehemiah probably had some of the workers who wanted to concentrate on building the wall. And others who wanted to grab their spears and go to war and take care of some of these enemies. He had to bring them into balance. Keep the work moving forward. But be prepared, if need be, to fight. Strategy number four. He provided everybody with a rallying point. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, this work is extensive and it's spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Now this rallying point involved a place. Nehemiah knew that the enemy could attack at any time and at any place. The people needed to know, though, that if one section of the wall was under attack, that others would rally to their need and to their aid and not leave them to fight alone. And then the second thing, this rallying point involved a particular principle. He was bolstering this people's faith in God by reminding them that he would be there, God would be there, Nehemiah is with them, and they're all going to be fighting alongside one another. Now let me stop here a minute. This may be the area that gives so many of us the greatest trouble. We don't rally much. Too often we Christians come under discouragements attacked and we just try to do it all by ourselves. We don't reach out. We need encouragement, 
But, no, well, we hate to bother anybody. You ever felt that way? And so, it's interesting here that the point of drawing together, both for, for the people, it was an earthly kind of encouragement, but it's also to be reminded of the Lord's presence. You know that this morning, right here, what we're doing, this is a rallying point. Have you thought about that? This is where we come to kind of get our batteries recharged a little bit, maybe crazy. I've had a really crazy couple of weeks here, last past two weeks. And here is a place of, of it's a sanctuary for God's people, for the congregation, for you as members of the body of Christ here at Maple Grove. And I want to tell you, we need, we need each other. We, you all need one another. I need you guys. You know, we need to come together. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you have not allowed a lot of external circumstances to just blow us out of the water and get us all fragmented. It's Satan's desire to disrupt the harmony of God's people. And we've got to fight all we have, all anything we have to do to preserve that. When David was being chased by King Saul, Jonathan was there to encourage him and help him. When Elijah was depressed, God sent Elisha to encourage him. We all need people who will be able to come to us, and we need to be those kind of people too, who will stop what we're doing and run to the rallying point. And this strategy number five. He kept them busy. He occupied them in ministry of service to others. It's so interesting how he pulled this off. He occupied them in the ministry of service to others. Verse 21. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workmen by day. He's essentially establishing a protective buddy system. And he knew that if the people got involved in helping one another and, and they're providing and sharing uh, in the burden and, 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 and concern, that the morale of the project would increase and they would be better protected from their enemies. And that, that's what ultimately we see happening. And Nehemiah is a fascinating book and I just honestly don't have time to preach all those chapters to you this morning. And aren't you glad? But let's bring this home as I close. Many of us began our Christian walk with a lot of confidence. Many of us were excited about it. Our faith was new, but, you know, we were, we were in. We'd, we'd committed. Tim Hansel said in one of his books one time, we are like the guy who would go after Moby Dick with a rowboat, a harpoon, and a jar of tartar sauce. Now, that is one confident dude, I tell you that. But maintaining that kind of focus doesn't last forever. And by the way, it, it's such an intense kind of thing, it can really drain you, your energy levels, your, your ability to, to just kind of see things and, and, and know what to do and how to do it. And not to mention just, again, just physical limitations that we have. So what do we do? Well, are you facing the halfway mark? in some task in your world. Maybe you're halfway finished with a wall of some kind, I don't know, or halfway through paying off a debt. And maybe discouragement is kind of catching up with you. As you, you know, you're kind of taking a moment to lean on your shovel a little bit. And Satan's right there all the time saying, you know, you can't get this done. You can't make this call. You can't lead this family. You can't be the example you need to be. He 
is the discourager. Are you overwhelmed by whatever the task is you're facing? Maybe you're not knee-deep in rocks, but you're knee-deep in meetings at work. Or maybe just the debris of the daily routine. We have a lot of trees on our property, and, and whenever I'm away from home for a few days, I come back at this time of year, something begins to happen. In August, those nasty brown dead leaves are falling already. All over the property. I get out and I blow them over, try to blow them over to the neighbors because most of them are their leaves anyway. We live in the middle. We get a lot of neighborly leaves, you know. And not a single one of them are wanting to take responsibility for their leaves. And it's not in the sermon, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm discouraged thinking about that. But let's just bring it up a little closer and more important. How is the building up of your faith going even in the midst of fatigue and weariness have you lost your vision confidence maybe just maybe it's just hard to get up this morning and just go to church you know it wasn't anything particular you know but you felt like you needed to do it and you did and I'm glad you're here are you feeling insecure about whether God is listening and really going to help you deal with these problems that can attack you on all sides. Please understand that discouragement has a strong and relentless power to pull the focus of our hearts and minds, just pull them in on ourselves. It can quell our hunger for knowing and trusting in Jesus. It can squash our willingness to go out and trust Him as we try to depend on our own abilities. And I would say to you this morning, don't let that happen. Just make a decision and say, Lord Jesus, between you and us and your help, we're not going to let that happen. Nehemiah's guidelines are just as relevant as they're then as they are now. Renew your, resume your task with a renewed spirit. Hopefully this morning we'll go out of here encouraging, even though the battle's waiting and challenges are waiting. Unknowns are all around us. There's people right now that are struggling just to breathe. And it is a, it is a discouraging time. But give attention to John 16:33, the whole verse. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And if you're in Christ, so can you. As we close out this series about some of the trials of life, remember this. The Bible contains somewhere around 200 passages, all related, all proclaiming, the faithfulness of God. I'll leave you with just one of them. These are the words of Peter, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Dear friends, do not be, be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of God and the glory of God and rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The biggest problem we have sometimes is we don't suffer for being Christians. We just suffer. Sometimes it's just life, hardship, viruses, unexpected surprises. We live in a fragile world. And so many of us who live here somehow assume that it's all just held together for our personal pleasure and enjoyment. I'm not sure that's true. It's all held together because someone holds it together. And God has been gracious to us. But you know, this old world has only one destiny. Because this old world is not our home. As the song says, what? We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere else beyond the blue. Help. Pray to God to ask his help. Because we need to remember that. Because it's tough when you're looking around at hurt and heartache and death and, and pain and discomfort and weariness and fear and anxious. On and on and on it goes. Those are all the tools in the devil's arsenal. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What is, what is the rest of it? All else is sinking sand. Let's all stand together. Oh, Father, thank you for your presence here among us. Whenever we gather together in your name, you tell us that you are here. And, oh, God, we are so in need of your presence and your power and your wisdom. And, Lord, we ask for it. We we unashamedly fall upon you. We call upon you. Because we don't have the answers to these things. But we know that whatever it is, whatever happens, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that hope is sufficient. Now, Lord, help us go out these doors and live the next few days with that mindset. We're not alone. We're not going to face anything that we can't face with your help and deal with. And Lord, it's a win-win situation when we trust you. Thank you so much for all you do, what all you've done. In Jesus' name I pray.